it's not about finding motivation. It's just finding, are you willing to do it? Because sometimes if there's no motivation you have to give insulin or give a shot or things like that, that can hurt, you know, and have adverse effects. But this always stuck with me, like, are you willing to do this? And so I just have to get to a point of mind that I can hold myself accountable that I am willing to do it. So I am willing to do it. I just need to start putting the two together. Welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman, and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head on, reduce your stress, and most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hey there, a quick question for you. Does type 1 diabetes make you feel stuck? Do you feel like type 1 limits you and makes it harder to do the things that you want to do? If so, I have a free guide that can help you get unstuck and become more flexible in your life with type 1 diabetes. To download your free copy, go to www.thediabetespsychologist.com backslash get unstuck. That's thediabetespsychologist.com backslash get unstuck. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at the Diabetes Psychologist for access to even more exclusive content. Hey there, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman. Do you ever struggle with finding the motivation you need to manage type 1 diabetes? If you do, you're not alone. On this episode, I'm doing a coaching session with Caitlin. Caitlin's been living with type 1 diabetes for 14 years now, and she's really struggling. She has a fear of low blood sugar, and while she knows how to take care of herself, she really needs a way to keep herself accountable and follow through with it. I give Caitlin a different way of looking at accountability. I help her see that managing diabetes is a means to an end and not the end goal. Keeping her end goal in mind is going to make it easier for her to stay accountable and do what she needs to do to take care of herself. Here's my coaching session with Caitlin. So Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited that you're here to chat about some of the challenges you've been having with diabetes recently. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Before we get started, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your story with diabetes up until now? Yeah, sure. I just had my 14th anniversary. It's been 14 years now. Funny story. I was actually diagnosed on my dad's birthday. So that is a very ingrained date in my life, which is ironic, but um. It was December 30th, and I remember it specifically because he was golfing, and we had to call him <laughs> in the middle of winter out there golfing. But yeah, so I was diagnosed um, right after Christmas. I've kind of struggled with my story in terms of how I grew up thinking about diabetes because when I was diagnosed, so for just for background, my mom's also type 1. So my diagnosis in general was pretty easy because she knew the signs and symptoms. So once she saw everything, she just took me to the doctor and they pretty much took one look at me and were like, no, I need to go to the hospital. So in terms of like being diagnosed and everything, that was okay. But I kind of grew up in that time frame where a lot of doctors and just even in general, I guess the mindset around diabetes was kind of, what would you say, like a scare tactic? Like even my doctor would use it. And she was just a general practitioner, though. Of course, I was just seeing, we weren't seeing any specialists or anything. When I was diagnosed and even like throughout 
the first couple of years of my diagnosis with my parents and the doctors, I would constantly get the terms like whenever I would go in to get checked up on or when something didn't come back right, it was always the, oh, well, if you don't fix this, you're going to die. And if you don't do this, you're going to die. And so I think that's where I had a little bit of a rough upbringing in terms of my diagnosis. Those types of comments can be really scary to hear. Right. And I heard that that was more common a while back when we didn't know as much as we do today. Of course, 14 years ago, things have changed drastically, but it still, it scarred me. So So how are you doing right now? And what are the biggest challenges that you're facing with your diabetes right now? And how are you managing diabetes? I'm having a really rough time right now. My A1Cs are very high. I just recently got back on the pump. So I'm on the Omnipod and I use the Freestyle Libra too. So working to the right direction here, but I'm still struggling. I'm encountering the, having that accountability to make sure that I'm taking care of myself. It's not that I want the mindset that I have to be perfect because I definitely know that that's not necessarily possible, but I know that I'm actively avoiding doing the things I need to, to take care of myself. And so I'm just really struggling in terms of like those fears of those lows and having that accountability to know that if I were alone or even when I am home alone or home with my husband and family that I can take care of myself and that it will be okay. What do you think is the biggest barrier to you being able to take care of yourself and have that accountability to yourself to be able to take steps to manage diabetes in a way that's more effective than you have been? I think really the only barrier that I have is just the anxiety that I feel around it. Um, Because I I really feel like that's where the problem has come from. I'm not really sure if the anxiety is sprung from having diabetes or if that was something that I always kind of had. But I think that the, the really the biggest barrier is those the anxiety and those anxious thoughts, because I feel like if they weren't there, like they weren't when I was first diagnosed the first couple of years when it was going okay, that I would I would do pretty good. Can you give us an example of a situation recently where that anxiety has gotten in your way of managing diabetes in a way that would bring your blood sugar into your target range? One that happens almost on a daily basis for me is I have that anxiety of simply just giving insulin. Like I'm almost scared to give insulin, even if it's not a lot that would necessarily drop me super low. But I I have that on a daily basis where when I go to, you know, eat and give the bolus, I have that anxiety that no matter what insulin dose I give, I'm going to go low. So usually I cut way back on the insulin doses that I should be giving. So that's a really common thing. You're feeding into the anxiety and you're not allowing your blood sugar to go into your target range. And so your A1C is going to continue to be high. Right. It comes to self-fulfilling. Yep. (laughs) Obviously. What have you tried before to be able to combat this and to be able to manage your anxiety in a way that can allow you to take insulin in the right amounts? So I don't know that I've tried anything specifically towards the insulin side of things. I have tried different therapy and things like that. Um, talked to therapists and stuff about the anxiety, but nothing specifically tied to the insulin. So it was mainly just working on the anxiety. So I think it would be good for me to try and find some tools to use that I can use when I'm giving a shot, you know, giving that insulin ways to keep my mind at, at ease. You had told me that one of the challenges that you're having is that your husband it has a hard time holding you accountable 
and pushing you to take insulin as prescribed. Can you tell me a little bit about that dynamic? It definitely sounds a little worse than I mean it. So he didn't know anything about diabetes, of course, coming into the relationship, which I know is common. So everything he's learned has been from me, but we've been married now for almost eight years. So it's been, a, it's been a while. Like he knows a lot. He's still very open to learning and he wants me to be, you know, in a healthy, good position because I've had a lot of things come up in the past year and he's seen the effect that's had on me. But I think he's, he's one of those people that would rather me be happy and he's a pleaser. So it's really easy for him to see me putting it off and just kind of letting it slide and not really worrying about it. Like every once in a while, when he sees me start to get really motivated and stuff, he'll be like, okay, well, we need to check the sugar and we need to give a shot. And then I feel like if I start kind of sliding off as well, he kind of does too. And it kind of follows along with that. So I'm not really sure what causes that, but I, I think it's just the fact that he wants to make sure that I'm still happy and he's not being that burden, you know, like the police. <laughs> That's a really common thing for spouses and also parents to do is to say, well, we don't want you to be too stressed out. And so I'm going to back off pushing you because I know that makes you uncomfortable. Right. When actually probably the thing that you need the most is someone to push you and to make you uncomfortable. Right. Right. I think it's times like that when they're kind of being annoying at you and you're feeling really annoyed. Those are the times that it's working because then you know that, oh, okay, I didn't do something. I, I need to get on that. But instead of pushing for it, they're just like, okay, okay, sorry. And just kind of step back. Also waiting for a time where you're not feeling anxious. And right. if that's the case, then you can make the move. Right. I think that you also know that there's never going to be a time you're not going to be anxious without actually making the move first. You have leading with action as opposed to leading with your emotions is the key here. Because if you say, I'm going to wait, take the, my full dose of insulin until I'm not feeling anxious anymore. But the reason why you're feeling anxious is because you're not able to see what's going to happen. If you do take the full dose of insulin, you're setting yourself up in this hamster wheel. Right, right. The confusing thing is pushing you to be uncomfortable is actually probably going to be the thing that's going to be most helpful for you, even though that doesn't make a lot of sense logically about why you want to make Caitlin uncomfortable, and right. for your, especially for your husband. That's true. Well, I mean, and it makes sense because if I don't actually start doing it, there's never going to be a time that it's successful. So um, I think it's just being able to learn to live with that discomfort that I'm struggling with. Exactly. And that's one of the biggest challenges of the stress of diabetes is the stress of diabetes is going to be there in some capacity. And so how do you learn to live with that so that you can actually take the action and do the things you want to do, whether it's managing diabetes or whether it's being able to go out and play golf or go for a run or ride your bike. Right. So let's talk about accountability. It sounds like one thing that you're really looking for is somebody or something to hold you accountable and put another way you're looking for leverage. What can you leverage to help you gain that motivation and get to a place where you're going to be able to take that action? Yeah, exactly. And it kind of brings me up to something that one of my therapists told me in the past in terms of like motivation and like finding motivation. It's not about finding motivation. It's just finding, are you willing to do it? Because sometimes if there's no motivation you have to give insulin or give a shot or things like that, that can hurt, you know, and have adverse effects. But this always stuck with me, like, are you willing to do this? And so I just have to get to a point of mind that 
I can hold myself accountable that I am willing to do it. So I am willing to do it. I just need to start putting the two together. I think your therapist was on the right track there because so often we think that motivation is a feeling and that if, if I'm gung ho about doing it, then it's going to be really easy. But then when I'm not feeling that motivation, I'm not feeling the energy and that move forward, then I can't. But being willing to do it, even though you don't want to, is also another great form of motivation. Exactly. Yeah. And I know that I've been looking for like outside sources of, so to say, motivation or accountability, but I definitely would really like to to be able to do that on my own because it's my disease. You know, there's only so much everyone else can do to help. That's why I do really want to find it in myself to hold myself accountable because I think what I've been looking for for the longest time is the motivation, not realizing that that's not really the right key. Why is marriage and diabetes important to you? So it's important to me because the last couple of years, like it's prevented me from doing a lot of things. Like I've, I've had a lot of instances where I've been in the hospital and it's made me really sick with like infections and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a really active person, grew up as a, as a tomboy and played all the sports and everything, but that's not something I do anymore. It's really hard for me. Just even trying to be active, I feel horrible because if my sugar is in the spot where it should be, I still feel horrible because my body's not used to it or it's high. And that's, you can't exercise when your sugar is high. So it's kept me from doing a lot of things that I love to do. What would be the top three things that's kept you from doing? Um, The top three things that's kept me from doing, well, one of those I would probably say that I didn't mention was starting a family. Um, That's something we want to eventually do, but definitely don't feel comfortable with that at this point in time. It keeps me from exercising, which is an important part of not only just being healthy, but managing mental health. And so that's a really big thing for me as well. And the third thing I would say is it does a lot of holding me back from doing independent things. Like I always feel like I would feel better and more comfortable with people around me that I'm constantly, you know, having that help because I don't have have that confidence to, you know, take care of myself on my own. So those are probably the biggest things. So to put this in succinct terms, it sounds like this issue is keeping you stuck. It's keeping you stuck from uh, starting a family with your husband. It's keeping you stuck from doing things that you enjoy and that are important to you and keeping you stuck from, engaging with the world in the best way possible. Yeah, exactly. And I think that if we look at diabetes in that way, it can become a lot easier to be willing to go through the discomfort of experiencing that anxiety. I think sometimes we get trapped in this mindset that I really should feel motivated to manage my blood sugars. But when people ask why is managing diabetes important to you, their response is vague. It's well, because my doctor said I should do it or else I'm going to die. It's because my A1C is too high. My response to that is always, who cares? And I say that jokingly. I also say it somewhat seriously because those things aren't things you can grab onto. They're not really things that in the end are what's most important to us. Even though they're important, they're definitely not something that we think about every day. Exactly. Well, And there are means to an end. They're not important in and of of themselves. If your entire goal was to get your A1C below eight, that's a worthy goal. But in the end, who cares? If at the end of your life, your gravestone says, Caitlin had an A1C of below eight. Well, that's nice, but I don't think it's what you want to be about. Right. If your gravestone says, Caitlin was a wonderful mother to her two children, 
and a loving wife and love to run and ski, that seems a lot more meaningful to me. I agree. Yeah. And just having that mindset shift is pretty remarkable just to think about like listening to you say that has a pretty pronounced effect. Because I mean, when you're trying to do things like that, I don't think about it from that perspective. I think about it just like I have to get my A1C down. I don't really think about it from the other side. So, And look at what your doctors did in the beginning where they were saying, if your blood sugars aren't in good control, these bad things are going to happen to you. And then probably when you go to your doctor now, at least this happens for most people, is the conversation is about their time and range or about their A1C, not about what those things will allow for. Right. It's all about numbers. And I have to wonder how much more effective those conversations would be if it wasn't about how your A1C is not where it needs to be, but how you really want to have a family and how getting your A1C to where it needs to be is going to allow you to do that. Not in a scary way, but in an empowering way. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what I've struggled with the most because just in most endocrinologists and I know that there's the exceptions out there that do cover a lot of different bases, but at least the ones that I've dealt with, it's really just a quick in and out. This is your A1C. And then they usually try piling more insulin into the equation for me. So that when I do actually try to do what they're saying, I have weird things happen that I go low and have those things happen because piling more insulin on wasn't actually the issue. <laughs> Um, that's just their way of solving it. By ignoring the conversation about why this is important to you, they ignore the real issue. They have an assumption that everybody's motivated for the sake of being motivated. And therefore, we need to just kind of put more insulin or more medication on the issue rather than actually looking to what the barriers actually are. Right. Yeah. That's been my experience with most of my endocrinologists. And I think that's why I haven't been as successful with it, because that's scary especially when you're coming from a fear of lows and giving too much insulin. Yeah. And I think it's realistic here is that what we're asking to do in, in terms of helping you to get over your anxiety is going to be really uncomfortable. Okay. Pushing you to take more insulin, which will bring your A1C down in the beginning, it's going to be scary because right. I've been doing it for a long time. And so you've gotten in this belief system that if I take too much insulin, then really bad things will happen to me. In order to get move past that, you've got to be able to sit there with the anxiety that that's what you feel. Even though it's not true, even though the reality doesn't match that, getting there is going to be a little bit of a rough ride, I think. But that comes back to the issue of motivation. Question maybe isn't, why are you willing to take more insulin? Question maybe is, why are you willing to tolerate this discomfort? And if the answer okay. was to get my A1C down, I don't think that's a good enough answer. Right. Because that's not going to motivate me. <laughs> it hasn't worked thus far. <laughs> but I think that identifying the one or two things that this will allow you to do and really focus on those to hold on to as your motivation is going to be most effective, especially when you get to that point where you're taking more insulin, you're feeling really nervous and it's not very much fun. What are you going to hold on to to pull you through that time? Okay. I guess the thing, my only question from that would be is just like, what's the best way to handle discomfort like that? I feel like sitting in discomfort like that will easily cause me to go into a panic attack or a panic state. Mm -hmm. And so I guess really is just knowing what tools I can use to 
hold on to that discomfort, but know that everything will be okay. Does that make sense? I'm really glad you brought that up because tolerating discomfort is easy to talk about, but actually going through with it can be challenging. What I would encourage you to do when that happens is a couple of things. First of all, is remind yourself that it's temporary. No matter what you've gone through in your life and how uncomfortable some things in your past may have been, they've all been temporary and they have changed over time. So sometimes the discomfort is intense. Sometimes the discomfort is less and it goes in waves. And so recognize that even though things are really tough right now, in an hour or a minute or a day, they may not be as tough. And that can help you to get through that time. The other thing is to practice what I call grounding. And grounding is a type of mindfulness where you're able to stay in the present moment. Because what happens is you feel uncomfortable, but then your mind starts racing to other places and you start telling yourself stories about what that means about you and what that means about your future. I'm always going to feel this way. I can't handle this. And those stories that you tell yourself pile on top of that discomfort that's already there and make it a whole lot worse. If you can stay in the present moment physically by meaning putting your feet on the ground and just pay attention to what it feels like to have your feet on the ground or have your arms on the armrest on your chair and pay attention to that. You keep yourself in the present moment. You keep your mind from going to some pretty dark places. Okay, that makes sense. And the other part of it is do your best to sit there with it as opposed to avoid it. I'm going to use your husband as an example here. Your husband sees you uncomfortable, which probably makes him uncomfortable. So he not only does he want to make you comfortable, but he also wants to make himself comfortable because seeing you uncomfortable makes him uncomfortable. And that's a way of avoiding discomfort. And we do this all the time. But if you're able to sit there with it, which is the opposite of avoiding it, then you can recognize that, yes, this is uncomfortable, but you can also learn that you can handle it. If you can show yourself that you can handle it, then it's going to make it a whole lot easier to be there with it. But by avoiding it, you do the opposite and you keep on feeding the beast of your anxiety because you say, I can't handle this. I'm going to push it away, which then makes you even more anxious about the situation. Yeah, that's actually really, really helpful because that's what I've done in the past is I get to that point of discomfort and I usually can handle it for a little bit of time. But then like, for example, like if the arrow starts dropping completely and I get to that really discomforting spot, I usually, I just avoid it completely and do whatever possible to get myself out of that situation. I think that one thing that you might want to try, especially when you're seeing those arrows and seeing your blood sugars do things on the lower side, is to set some rules for yourself. Say, I'm not going to treat any low blood sugar until my blood sugar is below 100. Then when you see your blood sugar coming down close to 100, but not there yet, you're probably going to be pretty anxious and probably going to have that urge to treat. But then reminding yourself of that motivation, of that specific thing of why you're doing this, why experience that discomfort is going to help you do something that's important to you. That's where the motivation, the leverage comes in. That's what you're going to hold on to. But before you can do that, you have to identify for yourself what those specific things are and also potentially visualize that yourself doing that. For example, having a family, you visualize yourself you know, holding your baby taking your kid to the soccer game or whatever it is that is for you. And it's something to really hold on to. Of, this is what I'm aiming for. This is why I'm doing this. And this is why it's so important to me. And being able to see yourself doing that can help you get there and help you to tolerate that discomfort along the way. 
Okay. Yeah. I actually, I really like that. That's something I've never, never tried before. Um, so basically in essence, it's kind of just like creating a plan to have when this happens, when I am going low, like, okay, well, if I get to a certain level, which whatever I choose, then I'll treat, um, with so-and-so and just kind of being prepared ahead of time, knowing how I'll handle it before it happens. Exactly. Because then by doing that, you set boundaries for yourself. And so you say, okay, well, I know that if I go below this number, I'm going to treat because I'm going to keep myself safe objectively. But I know that above that number, I'm still going to be anxious when I'm going there. But one, I know I'm safe, which is the important thing. And two is I know I'm safe, but I'm also scared. And so the reason I'm willing to be scared is for this thing in the future that I am visualizing for myself. And it may be difficult to do that visualization in the moment. Like when your mind is racing, you feeling panicked, that's tough. But by doing the visualization and setting the boundaries for yourself ahead of time, then when the situation arises, that muscle memory kicks in. You say, I know that this is important to me. I can't really visualize it right now, but I'm going to do it anyway because I know that this is going to help me get to where I want to be. Yeah, that's actually really helpful. Thank you. When I tell people that I'm the person who's going to push them to do things that are uncomfortable, they look at me sort of strangely because they say, well, you're a psychologist. You're supposed to be nice. What I realized through my training and through lots of experiences is that I'm a nice person and I do my best to be as nice as possible. But I also know that by telling you to avoid your anxiety and not to feel it, that is about the worst thing that I could do for you. Helping you to face your anxiety, see you can handle it, and also keep your eyes on the end goal of what you want and why this is important to you is going to be the leverage that you need to be able to get yourself there. I agree. And I, I think that'll be helpful because I think just in general with anxiety and just in general, I try and come from a spot of trying to fix it in the moment instead of having that plan ahead of time. And like you said, it's hard to do when you're in the moment. It just your brain can't really think clearly. It can't see clearly. So that makes sense as to why I haven't been successful with it. Yeah. Think about it in the same way as you may think about it if you go to the gym and you say, I'm going to run on the treadmill for half an hour. So you start running on the treadmill and you get 15 minutes into your workout and it starts getting really tough. And you say to yourself, oh man, I got to stop this. But then you say, no, I set my goal for half an hour and I can do this and I can get through the half hour. If you didn't set the goal in the beginning, if you said, I'm just going to run on the treadmill for as long as I want to, then probably 10 minutes into your workout, you're going to say, okay, I'm done. Before you go into the gym and you say, I'm going to do a half an hour on the treadmill, your likelihood of getting there is much greater. The same thing is true with what's going on here. If you say, I'm not going to treat my low blood sugar until I get to this point, the reason why I'm willing to go through that is because I really want to have a family. It's much more meaningful than, than not having a plan and not having a goal. And that's going to give you a lot more structure to be able to move forward. Right. Without having that goal, there's basically an easy out, an easy way to just say, oh, I can worry about it later. Exactly. I can start tomorrow. And I think actually this goal of having a family is actually one that you can have your husband help you with in terms of keeping you accountable. You can have a conversation with him and say, this is important to us together. Having my blood sugars come down into a normal range is important for us to have a family together. And so when I try to get out of it. I need you to be able to be willing to push me to, to get there. Um, and I know that's going to be uncomfortable for you because you don't want to see me uncomfortable, but your motivation hopefully can be because this is our together and I need your help. 
So I, I mean, in a way, just kind of telling him exactly what I need from him instead of just letting him give me what he thinks he needs in a way. <laughs> and if possible, showing him what's in it for him. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I think, and that's definitely not anyone's real fault, but we kind of just expect people to do what they think is best in supporting us. But by giving him instruction of what I need, mm-hmm. I not only can hold myself accountable, but he can make sure that he is too. Because my guess is that he needs the same leverage that you do. When he sees you uncomfortable, he wants to avoid that. And so he will pull you out of the uncomfortable situation because he wants to avoid being uncomfortable himself. But if if you guys were in this together, he has something to gain from pushing you past this issue and helping you to deal with it, then it's going to be easier for him to be willing to do that. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. And it definitely makes me feel a little less responsible for that too. <laughs> but you certainly want him to be supportive and you don't want to feel like you're in this all by yourself. So he's right. the person holding you accountable. I think that he can be the person supporting you with a firm hand on your back, pushing you into the place where you don't want to go, but you know, is going to be best for you. Exactly. Well, thank you. That's actually really good. I do like that. And I think it's something that he'll be able to get on board with too, because it's not that he doesn't want to be supportive. It's just, it's even though we've been married for eight years now, it's still a foreign concept to him because he doesn't have it. He's never went through it. So. Well, Caleb, thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope we can have you back a couple months to see how things are going, get an update from you on your progress towards holding yourself accountable to feeling that discomfort and moving past your fear of lows. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you. I'm I'm really going to take these tactics. I think there's a lot of some some really good tips in there that I haven't tried before. So I'm really excited to try them and see just kind of how I can change my thinking in terms of that. Before you go, can I ask you a quick favor? If this podcast has been helpful for you, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a five-star rating and post a review on iTunes. That helps me get the word out about this podcast so as many people as possible with type 1 diabetes can benefit from it. I always love hearing from my listeners. To get in touch, you can find me on Instagram at the Diabetes Psychologist or send me an email to mark at thediabetespsychologist.com. You can also find me on the web at thediabetespsychologist.com. That does it for this episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. Be sure to tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode. Bye until then. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com and be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. Podcast.